Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real, and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. worship and you can't even sing you're like <laughs> anyway man we've had an amazing weekend all weekend and tonight we get to close out close out the resilient woman the weekend with someone who's become a dear friend like a sister and back in August um, I went to go minister in the spring in California and so I started following the pastors they started following me and they posted this black box and it was so interesting because the heart behind it, you could tell, was for the church. And there's like a movement over the last few years about tearing down the church, deconstructing faith. And I just love the body of Christ so much. I love the local church so much that I'm just like, man, who's going to stand up for the body of Christ? Who's going to stand up for the bride of Christ? And there was a couple of posts that really my heart just... I don't know, I just became so aligned. And I remember even tagging some of the girls on staff, like we need to add this to the drop descriptions and this and that. And, and I was just so intrigued by this woman. And so she would regularly be posting things about the heart, about the house of God, about people, about relationships. And I was just like, wow, I don't know who she is, but I wanna get to know her. And so randomly one day as I was praying for a resilient woman for nine months, the Lord had told me, I knew that we were missing a speaker and I'm not the kind of person to just start chasing speakers because I don't just give out our pulpit to anybody. We take the pulpit very seriously because we love our church. And so we were waiting for a really long time and I just kept asking the Lord. I asked our prayer team to pray. I asked our pastors to pray. I'm like, we're missing somebody, we're missing somebody. And he was not releasing the name and I didn't know why. But three weeks before our events, I remember going to bed and she had posted something and, and I was able to comment on something. And then the next morning I had a message from her and I was like, oh, you know what? One of these days you need to come speak for our women. And she's like, well, unfortunately I'm booked through all of next year. I was like, well, I was like, I'm gonna be a little bit cheeky here. I'm like, what about in three weeks, November 4th and 5th? She's like, stop it. I'm actually open. And I told my husband that I was gonna leave that open for a special invitation if it came. And I was like, wow, the Lord totally aligned those moments. And honestly, it's been incredible. Her name is Natalie Runyon and she has a heart. Her ministry is called Race to Stay. And her heart is really to minister to those who have wandered, wondered and wrestled with the church. Also, she's releasing her first book this summer, next year. And she really has a heart to see a generation of leaders finish their race as they partner with the Lord. So can we stand and honor this woman of God as she comes and brings the word of the Lord for us. it's like the end of camp you know it's like the it's like the end of it but it's yet it's the beginning right you guys can be seated thanks so much man you know 
I just want to first just say a huge thank you to Pastor Miriam and Pastor Anthony. <laughs> As a pastor's kid, I know what it means to give your pulpit to people, and it's a huge um, trust. It's, it takes a lot of trust, and you didn't know me, um, but you listened to the Holy Spirit, and your yes has made room for my yes, and this is the iron sharpening iron piece, and so thank you. I promise to steward them well tonight, so thank you very much. I was praying over you guys, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you four things before we get started. Prophetic words should always be biblical, they should always be encouraging, and they should always build us up and strengthen us as the church. And these are the four things I want to give you from the Lord. Number one, he said, tell my kids that I love them so much. Tell my kids that I love my church so much. Tell my kids they can trust my church. But tell church alive that they can trust this church. That where he has you is strategic in this seat. That you have a name, you have a place, and you have an assignment that is so specific to what God wants to do, not only in this house, but across this region and state and the state surrounding, that you can't afford not to stay and be here every week to find out what he is going to do. He loves you. He sees you. He values He cherishes you so much that he puts you under these two people who will steward everything God that has put inside of you. So keep showing up and keep loving each other well. I will be honest with you. I'm a pastor's kid. I have been in the church my entire life. And I don't say this hardly ever, but I will leave this weekend a better Christian, a better leader, a better sister, a better mother, and a better pastor because I have been with you guys. It is true that there is a world who is calling for us to leave the church, to do our own thing, to find our own truths. But I am going to make some pretty bold statements tonight <laughs> to declare not only who the church is, but above all who our God is, who is mighty to save, he is mighty to set free, and he has not lost his sight on you and what he did for them way back in these Bible days that you keep hearing about. He's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again because our God is faithful. And so you come on Sunday nights at 6 o'clock because you have an expectant heart. What draws you into this house is an expectancy, not for good coffee, yes, for some hugs, maybe for, you know, some good music. But honestly, it's because you can't help yourself. You want to find out what God is going to do. And so tonight, we are going to dive into the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And what I want us to do tonight is to talk about being positioned for delivery. We talked this morning, if you were in the uh, one o'clock service this afternoon, about what happens when God asks you to take ground. And so when we have a calling, we have a name, a place, and an assignment, 
We have to start taking ground in order to be able to step into those things. But we also have another responsibility, and it's to help other people take ground into the thing that God has called them. I am taking ground in the spiritual because Pastor Miriam and Pastor Anthony gave me an opportunity to take new ground. When I get to heaven, there will be a list of people that I will want to hug that I won't even know what they did for me, for me to be able to take ground. Throughout all of scripture that God has used the church to propel his message and his movement forward as iron sharpens iron, as the people of God love, serve, and deliver the thing that God has asked the people of God to deliver. We are so sometimes consumed with what's my thing and what's my thing to do in the church that we forget that part of our job is to help other people deliver the thing that God put in them. All right? So we're going to be in Exodus 1, 8 through 22. It's a story. I know it's long. I'll try to make it interesting. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. Say Shipra and Pua. If you are expecting a baby, I have just given you two killer names. So <laughs> add those to your list. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, underline feared God if you're taking notes, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and I love their answer here. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women were not like the Egyptian women, they answered. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we can't get there in time. It's kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> like, right? So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that the church was your idea. God, we as your sons and daughters have been given a place to come and to worship in freedom here in the United States. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you that we can come and we can love one another and serve one another, God. But above all, Lord, fulfill your mission, the great commission to go and make disciples. Lord, I just pray that your house would be a house of prayer. I pray that this house would multiply, God, exponentially, and that people who are lost and confused and living in sin and just complete bondage would find freedom in this house. Lord, we give you all of our worship. Lord, I just pray that your word would go out, that it would not return void, Lord, and it would fall on hearts, Lord, that are willing to just soak up every seed that you want to plant. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. 
So a little backstory here. The first part of this chapter begins with the reporting the death of Joseph and his brothers, and a lot of time had passed since then. It says that the Israelites were fruitful and prolific, much to the horror of the Pharaoh, and they were multiplying and growing exceedingly strong, and the land was filled with them. Now, the land here that we're talking about is not Israel, it's Egypt. And at the end of Genesis, the people who had been chosen to be blessed, to be a blessing, had moved down to Egypt in order to seek refuge and food in the midst of this famine. So God had promised Abraham and Sarah a land, but Genesis ends with their descendants being displaced in Egypt. So the people becoming fruitful and prolific was a fulfillment of God's commandment in Genesis 1. And when God's people follow God's commands, the world does not understand it and can be threatened. Think about that. We follow the commands of God every day because we know them and people look at us like we're out of our minds, right? Because the world doesn't understand a kingdom run by God. They're used to a kingdom that's run by man. And so we are up against the grain every single day. It says here, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He doesn't know or remember the good and wise leadership before him or know that God is at work through the people. Pharaoh is unaware that Joseph's people belong to God, which causes this huge conflict between Pharaoh and God about who these people really belong to. My question for us tonight is do people know who we belong to? when they meet us at the store or at our schools or at our work or when they come through these back doors, how are we different from this world that they've learned to serve? How is our master different from their master? Pharaoh's leadership was all about diminishing life, limiting growth, possessing things and possessing people, keeping people enslaved and killing anyone who threatened him. But God's leadership, the leadership that we're under, the kingdom leadership, is multiplying life, being fruitful, setting people free, being in relationship. And we only kill as a last resort in order to free the people who have been enslaved. That's the kind of government I want to be under. I want to be under the kind of leadership that sees people in bondage and doesn't take advantage of it, but uses what they have through the power of the Holy Spirit to break chains to speak with authority and with this boldness we've been talking about all weekend that does something in the atmosphere and foundations of political systems are shaken just by our presence in the room. But if we're not set apart, sanctification is being set apart. A lot of us want to be special, but we don't know how to be set apart. I want you to like my talent. I want you to think I'm pretty. I want you to think that I have more than I have. Why do you think social media is such a big deal right now? It's all smoke and mirrors. And so we are intentionally deceiving one another into thinking that the kingdom of the world is actually going to give us something that it can't so that when we finally get the real thing, it feels like counterfeit. Because following Christ is a backwards kingdom. The last shall be first. The first shall be last, right? We get ahead by dying to ourselves. You want to live, you've got to die. You want to give birth to something, then you're going to have to bury something. You want a resurrection, you got to get on a cross. But we don't like that answer. And so this, this church thing feels like a little bit of a bait and switch. You tell me there's hope there, but I'm going to have to get up at 6 a.m. to set up chairs. Yes, yes, you are. Right? 
You tell me that there's like, you know, all this community for me, but you're sending me to nursing homes. Yes, yes, we are. Because we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus did not create a country club. So if you've been thinking that the church is a country club, you better start showing up like it's a training ground because we are in a war. We are in a war that is not made of flesh and blood, but of darkness and principalities. And it takes a different kind of fighting than behind a keyboard. If you think you're going to change anyone's mind about their opinion on the church or anything, and you think you're going to do it on social media, you're wrong. Because the church is where the hard and holy conversation starts. That's how we multiply. And that's why Pharaoh was so ticked off that the Israelites were multiplying because he figured out that if this God they served was actually as big as he was hearing, that they would overtake the Egyptian armies. When is the last time the enemy feared us that we were going to keep multiplying and he became afraid that the church was going to overtake the darkness of his kingdom? And it's because we're playing games. That's why he's not afraid. We're so busy posting pictures of our big selves on a big platform that that doesn't scare anyone. Now, while I love a good service, the thing that scares the enemy is when we start casting out demons, right? When drug addicts become set free, when prostitutes get off the streets. But how are they gonna do that if we stay and we do this, right? And so the entire point of the enemy is to limit the potential threat of his position on this earth. We are a threat to the enemy. And that should make us excited, except that I think for a lot of us, it makes us scared. And so rather than step into our authority and into our boldness, we shrink back and we fight battles that don't even need any of our attention, but the enemy has got us distracted. And so if we can be offended, and we can join in with all the cries of church hurt and be a victim, then we'll never walk in victory, and he knows that. And tonight, I'm calling out some of us who have been living as victims, and tonight, we're going to move from victim to victor. And uh, if you were wondering who I am, I'm the crazy lady that was jumping on that video, like extreme up and down. Because I get so excited when I see lost people found. I knew in that room on Saturday afternoon that there were chains breaking and there were people being set free. And as much as that made me excited, I was just so mad we were making Satan angry. I was so glad that we finally were taking back some of this ground. And I knew in that room that I didn't care if it was one ground being taken back. It mattered to the heart of God because he's the God who goes after the one. And tonight, we have to remember that going after the one is our biggest mission as the church. It doesn't matter how many people are in this room. If it's for one person, we will sing our songs, we will preach our messages, and it doesn't even have to go on Instagram, right? It's like if you preach a message or you have a church service and it wasn't put on Instagram, did it actually happen, right? It did. So the three main characters of this entire story are Pharaoh, which I think it's interesting. He doesn't have a name. He's just like Pharaoh, like Cher, like he's just Pharaoh. There's no name. And then there's Shipra and there's Pua. And here's what I love about these two women. God is showing us through two minoritized Hebrew slaves who served as barren midwives that God would rescue his people 
through two completely unknown individuals. These two have names in the story where Pharaoh the oppressor doesn't even have a name. Some of you are sitting in here and you're thinking, well, who am I? I don't really know anything about church. I've just been starting to come here. Nobody knows my name. I'm still getting used to this. I don't have followers. Some of you are serving and you're like, why am I even doing this? And I'm telling you right now, it's because God wants to use the unknown to make his name known. And though you may not be getting all this applause right here on earth, when you get to heaven, you're gonna get a standing ovation by people you didn't even know that you served in love because God is storing up those treasures for you in heaven. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. You don't have to have a name here. You have a name there. Somebody on Instagram said, that's easy to say. You have 56,000 followers. You know what? I, I, um, I, I could have deactivated my account at that point. Because here's the deal, guys. Only ask the Lord for what you can steward. And some of us want the Lord to give us the nations, but we don't even know the name of our next door neighbor. Like, seriously, let that sink in. Like, we're like, give me the world, Lord. And he's like, how about you just know your kid's teacher's name? We'll start there. And I think it's really important that we understand that it's okay to not be known. It's okay. When I started Raised to Stay, I started it because I wanted to quit. Raised to Stay came in a time in my life, I was 40 years old, and I said, Lord, this feels like a good holy number to bow out. 40. 40 feels holy. It feels like biblical. It feels like I could really go do something big with that, right? And I started it not because I wanted fame or fortune or followers, but because I wanted to know I wasn't alone. And I thought, if I want to quit, I wonder who else wants to quit. So I started writing these black boxes about things that were just really hurtful to me, being a Christian and just trying to navigate church and people. And before I knew it, people were like, me too, me too, me too. And so I call us stayers. I don't call us followers. I call us stayers. I want us to be stayers for the rest of our life and love the church the way that God loves his church. But we have to be willing to do it in the seen and unseen. We have to be willing to do it when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. We have to do it when people offend us and when people think that we're the best. And guess what, guys? Offense, I'm going to say this one time and then I'm going to move on. Offense is not church abuse. We are going to be offended constantly because Satan is a God who wants us to be offended. And offense, again, places us in that place of victim. And so you have to know if you're going to be part of the church, we're all human that we're going to offend one, one another and we're not gonna mean to. But this is where forgiveness and reconciliation, which is the heart of the Father, comes into play here. God would actually continue to work through the least powerful and work through six women all together to begin a movement that would be faithful to the seed of Abraham and rescue his people. These six women were Shipra and Pua, Moses' mom, his sister Miriam, and the daughter of Pharaoh and her maid, who was sent to rescue the baby Moses. Moses was surrounded by some stellar women, right? Imagine if those women had not fulfilled their purpose in the church. What are you avoiding? What if you've got a Moses in your basket and you don't even know it, Right? When we look at this word oben, it's a pair of stones. It actually is in this, this um, text that talks about the potter's wheel. 
a potter's wheel or a midwife's stool, which is consisting alike of two horizontal discs with a support between the wheel and the stool. So Pharaoh tells the midwives, I want you to go and sit on the oben, the midwife's stool, and I want you to deliver the babies and kill it if it's a boy and let it live if it's a girl. This word, oben, also means potter's wheel, which I find interesting because I think a lot of us think in order for us to have any effect in each other's lives, we have to have our lives worked out first. And the truth is we can simultaneously be being worked on by the father on the potter's wheel, cracked in all, while at the same time holding the hand of a friend saying, push, push, come on, you can do it. You can give birth to this thing. I know I'm cracked. I know I'm being worked on too, but I see the thing God has put inside of you and I'm not gonna leave your side until it comes out. Being positioned for delivery is a position of humility. It's a position of truth and it's a position of love. I am going to humbly sit here with you, sweat and all, while I'm cracked and broken and falling apart in my own life. But guess what? I know that as soon as you push out the thing God has put inside of you, we're gonna flip positions. You're gonna take your place on that potter's wheel, on that birthing stool. I'm gonna lay down and you're gonna hold my hand and you're gonna help me breathe through my thing that God has asked me to deliver. That is the picture of the church. Can you imagine that all of these babies are being born and the Egyptians are freaking out because they're like, why aren't they doing their job? And the midwives are like, look, they're just stronger than you think. This is how I am with the enemy. When the enemy's like, why aren't you gossiping? Why aren't you doing things to tear things apart? He wants to abort everything that's growing inside of the church. And he's trying to use us to do it to one another. A church divided within itself, it cannot stand. So he's thinking if I have them get divided from within, they'll have no impact in the world. So if we look like the crazy Christians shooting our own soldiers, then it's no wonder the world wants nothing to do with us because then our world just looks like their world. Our leader just looks like their leader. And why would they choose to like be good if they could just live however they want and not be part of our chaos? When we look at Exodus 1.16, we see this, this part where the uh, Pharaoh tells the midwives, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stool. If it's a son, you will kill him, but if it's a daughter, he shall, she shall live. But Jeremiah 18.3 says, so I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the Lord wanted me to tell you tonight that if you are on the potter's wheel, you are in the perfect position for delivery. Because it means that you have surrendered all of your flesh, all of your wants, all of your desire to look perfect, all of your hope that people think you have it all together. And you are joyfully sitting there saying, God, make me new again. Your mercies are new every single day. Do a new work in me. And what he will start doing is placing people at your side as he is working on you to begin to tell them to push. And then the person next to them will be told to push. And before you know it, the church is multiplying right before the enemy's eyes because we refuse to kill or to abort the thing that is growing in one another out of jealousy, comparison, all of those things that the enemy is trying to use to bring division, we will say no. We get to our friends and guess what? They're stronger than you think they are, enemy. They're stronger than you think. By the time I get there, they've actually already pushed out the thing that God's done in them because they're surrounded by so many people that by the time I got there, somebody had already gotten to them. That is the point of why you're here tonight. You don't have to do it alone. You are never alone. Every time you come in here, somebody's excited to see you. 
Every time you come in here, somebody wants to talk to you. When you want to serve, when you're ready to serve, there's a place for you to serve. I have never in my life seen a church serve like this one. I am, I am serious. I got out of that car and I thought they had hired people. I really did. And then I called my husband. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, what's going on? It's like, Pharaoh's plot the entire time. Because the growth of Israel was the grief of Egypt. Just like the growth of the church is the grief of the enemy. And so he believed in his wickedness, and I don't want you to name names. Don't, don't get political on me. But he believed in his wickedness, wickedness that he was wise. Politicians all across our world right now, they think in their wickedness that they are wise. He kept them by being poor, by charging heavy taxes. He made them slaves to the Egyptian. He broke their spirits. He ruined their health to diminish their numbers. He discouraged them from marrying. He encouraged them to desert the Hebrews and align themselves with the Egyptians. The enemy wants to represent God's people as dangerous people who are hurtful to the political agenda of a fallen world. Like the Pharaoh wanted to see the Israelites destroyed, Satan wants the people of God wiped out so he can have power. The enemies of the church aim to defeat the promises of God, so they try to prevent us from multiplying as the family of God. And we can see it even now that when, wicked, when men are wicked, they often feel that they are wise. But guys, it's obvious to us if we're walking with the Lord and we're spending time in the word that they're not. But the enemy will keep trying to make our world and their world look the same so that people don't want to join what God is doing. And that is where we have to start being the shining light and darkness to bring them to a God who is on their side and who is for them. But because the Israelites were peaceful, Egypt had no reason to wage war on them. So they attempted to weaken them through the methods of intimidation. And I want to tell you tonight that if the enemy is trying to intimidate you, your God is bigger. He can't, he can't scare you because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He has given us strength. He's given us wisdom. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he's given us one another. Now, the thing about the church, you guys, and I I'm, I'm, know I have about 10 minutes here, but I really want to tell this story. So if we don't get any further, I'm okay with that. When I was a senior in high school, um, my parents got really hurt by the church. Um, I remember it was a Sunday morning. We lived in the parsonage. Do you know what the parsonage is? It's the house that's next door to the church. So you have no privacy. People can get to you whenever they want. They, they cook for you. So I love food because they were always bringing us food. Um, and there was a baptistry that I would swim in. I would call my friends and say, do you want to come swimming? And they'd say, you don't have a pool. I said, no, we have a baptistry. And it's heated and it's lovely. We, did, we had rafts and everything. We had goggles. It was great. Um, they were my family, you know, they were like the people that celebrated our birthdays with us. It's like this, right? Like my, my dad pastored churches about this size. We knew everything about everyone. Unfortunately, they knew everything about us. And it was just like this tight knit heaven. One Sunday we show up and the entire board is there from the state. And we are told in front of everyone that that is our last Sunday. And it was like a funeral, 
there were people weeping, like hanging from the balcony, just sobbing. And I remember standing there as an 18-year-old girl and just thinking, what is this? And the enemy was right there to be like, see, I told you. No different than all the people who aren't Christians. We had to move into um, an efficiency apartment above a horse trailer that was owned by some people who had been in our congregations for a long time. And I spent my whole senior year watching my dad look for jobs. Slept on a mattress on the floor and ended up not going to seminary. I was supposed to go to a Christian college and I was so hurt by what had happened and watching my parents hurt. I felt like David in that cave with Saul, like if I could just kill who had hurt us. But the Lord reminded me that revenge does not expedite the promises of God. And that what God had for David, he would hold for David if David would just stay in position. Some of us need to hear stay in position because you're gonna birth something really good. And you guys, I, that happened when I was 18, I'm 43, and I'm just now starting to birth out what God put in me. And I've been laboring. I have been laboring for 25 years. So last August, the church called and they said, um, this church, the church that hurt me, <laughs> called and said, hey, would you come lead worship for our 100-year anniversary? I said, no. <laughs> how, how would I do that? And the Lord was like, uh, actually, you're writing a book on reconciliation. You're going. <laughs> like, um, I was like, all right. So crazy. But the new, the new pastors had been in my youth group when I had gone there. And I thought, are they, like, do they, were they having amnesia? Like, were they not in the room? Like, I got really salty about the whole thing. And I got on the plane and I'm like, Lord, I am going back to, like, Egypt. You are sending me back to the place that tried to kill me. And when I showed up, you guys, there was, like, uh, the parsonage had been torn down. The old blue bus that took us to everything was like broken down, like in the back. But the church looked the same. And I walked in, it smelled the same. Everything smelled the same. And the people who I thought were 80 when I was in high school were still alive. <laughs> so I think they must have been like my age now. <laughs> and, um, I got on the platform to lead worship and the people that were like active participants the day we got kicked out were like on the platform with me. And I am like, this is like pushing me to my ever loving brink, right? And the pastor gets up and he stands in front of the whole congregation and I am like having like flashbacks to cantatas and Christmas things like where I was in that same stage leading worship when I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And, um, the pastor looks back at me after he introduces all the people on the platform and he said, and this is Natalie Thomas, that's my maiden name. He said, her dad is our favorite pastor to ever pastor this church. And you hear this audible gasp in the room and everybody kind of leans forward. The old people are like getting their glasses and they one by one start standing up and giving my dad a standing ovation. These people who I thought hated us these people who I thought wanted to see us out. And the Lord said, pay close attention to this because what you thought was exile was actually an exodus. Sometimes hard things happening in our birth position because he wants to deliver something 
bigger and better and greater than our current circumstances could have ever given us. And so he'll ask us to go back to Egypt, to take everything that he has for us and to run as we rise, just like that leavened bread, just run as we rise. And I stood there with tears streaming down my face and I watched what I imagined heaven to be like. The saints all together cheering one another on. They didn't hate us, they just didn't understand. But the enemy tried for 25 years to tell me that they hated us. And by the good, good grace of God, I didn't believe it. I wanna tell you tonight, don't believe the lies of the enemy. The church is good, God is good, and the family of God is needed in our lives. Those old people came up to me afterwards and they had my little uh, face in their hands and they were saying, you tell your daddy he was my favorite hunting buddy. And you tell your mom we miss hearing her voice. And I got to go home and tell my parents who also thought that they weren't wanted, that they were loved and that people missed them. And do you know that people started calling them and emailing them and trying to find them on social media and they got to see kind of secondhand the redemption. Guys, sometimes we have to stay in this position of pain so that God can finish the work. 25 years later, I find out that God and his people are good. And if I would have quit, I would have never seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. Can we stand together? I've asked the guys to lead us in the blessing because there's a lot of different generations that are represented here. And I know that some of you here, you've been the midwives, you've been uh, the mid husbands. <laughs> You've sat by the beds of people in this room and you've invited them into your home. And some of the people on this platform are a testimony of what happens when we teach people how to push and deliver the thing that God has put inside of them. And I couldn't help but think that maybe that there were some of you here tonight that you're new to church and you're still trying to figure this whole thing out. But if you had one request of the Lord, it was God, don't let me do this alone. I don't know how to do this following you alone. And first of all, I wanna say, if you don't know Jesus, we're gonna do two prayers tonight. We're gonna to do one to ask Jesus to be Lord over our lives. And then we're gonna raise our hands in a moment and say, hey, I'm that person that doesn't wanna do this alone. Okay, so let's just first pray together. Everybody hands open, eyes shut. Just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I declare tonight that you are Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I receive you as Lord over my life. Make me whole, cleanse me from head to toe. I am a new creation in you, in Jesus' name. Now, eyes stay shut. If you prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand up tonight? If that was the first time you'd ever prayed that prayer, oh my goodness. I don't think that ever gets old, you guys. Thank you. It's incredible. Now, if you're saying, man, this, this life, it just feels a little scary. I, I want to believe that the church is different than the world. I'm trying really hard, but I've seen a lot in the world and I'm a little scared, I might see it here too. I don't, I don't wanna do it alone. If that's you, would you raise your hand? 
I just don't want to do this alone. I, I want to have people sitting next to me on the birthing stool. I, I want mentors. I want discipleship. I, I want accountability. I want people who know my name. I want to walk in. I want people to be excited to see me. Keep those hands up really high. Okay, keep them up. If you are standing around any of these individuals, would you go and just lay your hand on them, please? Just go quickly, quickly, quickly. Just go lay hands on them. Laying on of hands is just a way for us to encourage one another and allow people to just know that God is with them. The people of God, we're not special. We're not magic. But the laying on of hands is just a way for us just to allow the Holy Spirit to use us as conduits. Hands up is just surrender. Just surrender. Just saying, God, have all of me. Hands open, heart wide. That's it. And we're going to pray a generational blessing, and then I'm going to have the team lead, and I'm going to come off the platform. And I just believe that God is going to have church alive around for many, many, many generations. And we will look back on this moment and say, great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness to 10,000 generations. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God of generations, that you promised to Sarah and Abraham exactly what you promised them and you were faithful to fulfill it. There are promises in this room. There are promises in this room. We are the seed of Abraham, God, and we stand on that authority tonight. And we ask, Lord, for the things that you have birthed inside of us, the, the things you have placed in our womb. Lord, would you bring it to fruition, God? Would you use the spiritual moms and dads in this room to sit beside the bedsides of our young sons and daughters and begin to teach them how to breathe, teach them how to wait, teach them how to rest in you, teach them when to push, teach them when to rest. God, I just pray, Lord, that there would just be an increase in multiplication here of disciplers and mentors, God, that people who come to know you would be surrounded by generations of those who have seen your faithfulness and have lived to testify of it, and that they are not afraid to declare who their God is. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you, God, that you continue to give birth to new and holy things. And Lord, I pray, God, for more. I pray for more of your anointing, more of your authority, more of your presence, not only in this room, but throughout the city, God. I pray that Church Alive would go and make disciples and that we would hear of it from years down the road, God, that you have used them to bring hundreds of thousands of people into your kingdom. God, you are glorified and we bless you in the name of Jesus, amen.